0: Matthew 21 1 to 11 hear the reading of God's Word now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage Bethphage to the Mount of Olives then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them go into the donkey in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her untie them and bring them to me if anyone says anything to you you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And... Children are dismissed. <laughs> so we get from our reading of the passage today that the entrance to Jerusalem, of Jesus Jerusalem, on the first day of the week in which he was to be crucified, was in fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. It says the prophet, but it's actually the prophet Zechariah. And it's concerning the Messiah. That Israel. Israel's final king, who would bring peace to the nations. Not just Israel. Uh, We also know that the people misunderstood what he was there for. They had this great expectation of a a coming king. The the king that was promised, not just in Zechariah, but in, in many places in the Old Testament. A king that would save them from their political enemies, their military overlords. That he would finally restore Israel to the rightful nation that they once were. That their their land would would extend to everywhere that Abraham had had been promised by God. Basically, from the the River Euphrates to to the um, uh, Mediterranean Sea, from the mountains of the north in Syria uh, down to the desert of of uh, of Egypt. We talked about a few weeks back about how their directions were all named after those directions. Uh, uh, the primary direction was the, the rising of the sun. Uh, the 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 secondary direction was was south, but it was called Negev. It was the, the where the desert was. Uh, behind them to the west was the, the, the word for sea, Yam, was their, their word for west. And the north was the, the, the yeah, Zaphon, the place of, of the theatrical place of the gods, Mount Zaphon. Uh, some of those they borrowed from the culture around them. They, most of the culture, that whole region, the, the languages were very similar. They they all derived from one language, but kind of spread out. We'll see that while it's important uh, a little later on. But Jesus does not come to do that. Interestingly, the people kind of hedged their bets when when they see him coming on a donkey because there was that prophecy he would come on a donkey but for the most part the the images of this conquering king was that of some riding on a horse Zechariah himself in Zechariah 1 talks about the angel of the Lord coming on a horse a red horse and other riders with him we see that image brought forward uh, into Revelation where Jesus comes on a white horse and his his armies with him there was this expectation that he would come as a conquering hero with not, not just his disciples kind of before him and after him and the, the pilgrims kind of gathered around and singing, but he would come as a Roman conqueror, uh, a general coming in with battle dress and his horse dressed as, as, uh, for battle, and behind him were his armies, and behind <coughs> them were, were the captives that they, they brought, or, be, or even before them were all the captives of all the nations. That's what they envisioned, but he doesn't come that way. So they they missed it. That's what they were looking for, so Jesus was dismissed. The question the people ask at the end, who is this? Obviously, it's not what they were expecting. Instead, Jesus comes in a humble fashion on a donkey, a beast of burden, with his disciples and followers, most of them poor, working-class people. And we know from the rest of the week that Jesus didn't come as a conquering king. He came to die. So here's the question and actually it was posed of me this week um, by a fellow pastor who i sometimes will um, work on sermons with um, do the research with this happens to be um, uh, uh, palm sunday and we of course we both are going to preach on palm sunday so he asked the, this question he says if he wasn't coming as the conquering king if he wasn't coming as the lord of glory in psalm 24 the lord of armies which is what we read today in our opening that really is looking forward to this great event this is one of the images that people had conjured in their minds of who this king was so if he wasn't coming as the lord of glory the lord of armies mighty in battle why did jesus go out of his way to make a grand entrance at all i mean wasn't he coming to conquer something and that got us thinking, and that got us going back and looking at the not just the events of the day, but the images of the day. And to answer that, we're going to do what, it's Walt Shepard, if you know Walt, Walt and I did this last week. We went on a 1700 year round trip journey through the scriptures, visiting three locations, three people on the way. And first, our, st- our first stop is, is where we are. We're going back for us over around 2,000 years, not quite 2,000 years. This take place in 30, well, it depends on your calendar, but somewhere around 30 AD. So we go back about 2,000 years and we we stop here and look at this situation. So let's look at Matthew. Now, if you look at that passage, if you just even look in your your Bible or the printout, um, what, what kind of stands out to you at first? Well, depending on how your Bible's format, it's probably the quote from Zechariah that's here in the middle. And it should stand out. It was put in there, right in the middle of this by Matthew for a reason. He wants you to draw your attention to it. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a col- colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now, there are some principles when reading the New Testament. The first is is what I just mentioned, that if there's a quote it's important they want that to stand out they want you to go back behind the quote itself and see but there's a couple other principles to keep in mind first uh, or second is that the new testament is the fulfillment of the old testament so that if we're going to understand what the new testament says we have to go back to the old testament because the old testament was the bible of their day they did not have the new testament we have it their complete Bible, until we get the Gospels and the Epistles and the Book of Revelation, which were added on to their Bible, their whole Bible was Genesis to Malachi. And so we see, we see evidence of them, of the early Christians always going back to see. We, we heard about the church in Berea, right? Paul talks about the, the Bereans who searched the Scriptures diligently to see if he, what he said was true. The writers wanted us to go back to the scriptures to see if what they said was true, because they knew that what they said was fulfilling the Old Testament, but not just the Old Testament in general, but specifically about Jesus. Because this is the foremost principle of the New Testament, that the whole New Testament is looking backwards, or the whole New Testament is speaking of the Old Testament fulfillment of, of Jesus. And when you read the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament is looking forward to Jesus. Three verses I've got for you. Um, The first one is what Jesus says in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount. This is to the crowds uh, that had followed him. He says, he makes this pronouncement, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now for them, the law and the prophets was the whole of the Old Testament. He was saying from the beginning, the books of Moses, to the prophets. um, There was also in there the, the, the writings or the Psalms, the wisdom literature. But sometimes they would say the, the prophet, or sorry, the, the, they would say the law, five books of Moses, the writings and the prophets. But to shorten that, they would say the law and the prophets. He's saying he has come to fulfill every single bit of the Old Testament. And then to those who didn't believe in him, the Pharisees in John 5: 39, he said, "You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life." And it is they that bear witness of me. Some of your translations say, but it is they. And I, I think that's the sense of it. You think you're going to find eternal life in the scriptures, but it is me. He is eternal life. And then finally, in Luke 24, on after his um, resurrection, one week later than than today, uh, on the first day of the week, he's he, walking on the road to Emmaus, and he comes across a couple of disciples who are really upset, downcast, that the Messiah hasn't come in his glory. And he says, Oh foolish, oh, how foolish you are, and, and slow to believe, or hard to believe, all the prophets have spoken. He says, Was it not necessary, or was necessary, for the Messiah to suffer, and then enter his glory? and and then luke says and beginning with moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them all this in all the scriptures the things concerning yourself so that's the principle we're looking at today yes this is about christ but what does the old testament say about christ what fulfillment does he have everything in the new testament is not new there's nothing new in the new testament it's all from the old testament fulfilled in christ there is something new it's called the new covenant we'll get to that but even that was promised. So wherever there is a quote or allusion from the Old Testament, like there is here, it's usually a tip of an iceberg. So um, uh, the, the prophecy from Zechariah, because the New Testament writers expected us to go back and look at the Bible, their Bible, to understand what was being said. So it's no different here in our passage. When we go back and see what Zechariah said 500 years before, we see what was being fulfilled when Jesus rode in on that day. It's more than just riding humbly on a donkey. Now, before we go look at Zechariah, let's take a few observations about Matthew's recording of the events of that triumphal entry. Now, um, Zach, M- Matthew, of all the gospel writers, is really about the kingship of Jesus. So, it's, it's, as he presents this, he presents it in a way to, to focus on, it seems like, focus on the kingship. What's interesting is, in all the things he could have related to us about what Jesus said that day, he records what Jesus says about the donkey, right? Um, he, the only words of Jesus he recalls for us is Jesus' instructions on in finding and bringing the donkey to him. Now, Mark and Luke do, do the same, uh, but the focus is really on the colt. Matthew is on the, the donkey and the colt. Mark and Luke really focus on the colt and include Jesus' description that the colt had never been ridden. Um, so what we get from that, um, even though Matthew says he wrote on them, um, he wrote on the colt. Uh, what we understand, and the people that deal with donkeys and all understand, that if you're going to ride on an unbroken colt, colt that's never been ridden on before, you need to have its mother nearby, with it. Uh, th- what I heard was that a colt is very unruly, especially this is a male, a male. Basically a teenage mule, right? Think of a male teenager. How ruly is that? But if Or not very ruly. But if a mo- mother's there, the donkey, the, the colt, is, is calm. And they said, it'll even let you do things to it that, that had never been done to it. And so what we get from here is the this, this sense of Matthew. Is, and he's, the, he's a Hebrew. The other writers weren't, weren't Hebrew. He understood the culture. That the, the, the donkey the mother was brought along so that when Jesus rode on the the colt he was peaceful. Alright, so that's one thing. So the, the focus is really that it's a, fo- a colt, the foal of a donkey. And there's another observation about this donkey. Seven of the eleven verses about uh, of, of this passage are about Jesus' instruction to go and find the donkey. The fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah the disciples getting the donkey and Jesus riding on it. Then you got a few Short, four short verses about the entry. So just by the weight of all this, we see that there's a real emphasis on the donkey. And you say, are we going a little overboard? I, I, I thought so too. But let's go back and see and trace this the, these themes of the king on the donkey. Let's go back to Zechariah. Now Zechariah 9, 9 to 11, I have printed in your, uh, your verses, is a, a prophecy of Zechariah about the coming king that was partially included in in, um, Matthew. And remember that it's usually the tip of an iceberg, that the writers of the New Testament want you to go back and look at the context to see what else is there. In Zechariah 9, just before we read what we're going to read here, we find God's promise of deliverance from their enemies. So now it goes on. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, So that terminology is, the donkey is is being described, it's a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free. From the waterless pit. So the people of Jesus' time were right, at least somewhat. When the Messiah writes into Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, he is coming to bring peace. Not just for peace for Israel, but for the nations as well. And this king will eventually rule the world. You see that the, the promise has been expanded. It's actually the promise to Abram that has been expanded. That he wouldn't just be this area of, of the Middle East that, that they would uh, be uh, living in, but he would rule from sea to sea from as far as you could think to as far as you could think the whole world would be his all the nations but there's that donkey again sandwiched in, in, in Zechariah 9 between these, these, these great declarations of, of the peace that God's going to bring the first part of Zechariah 9 that he's going to cut off their enemies they're, they're going to, there's going to be peace even if it means that the destruction of their enemies. But there's also note that there's going to be peace between the nations at the end here. And right in here we have the donkey. So what's important about the donkey? What is it just the fact that he's supposed to be humble? There's something significant culturally about that colt. It's not just to show the king's humility. It's not that he's riding a horse. By the way, he could have done that just by riding a mature donkey. That would have sent that message. But there's something about riding a humble, unbroken colt. There's a greater message than that. And looking at verse 11, there's a covenant mentioned here, blood of my covenant with you. Now at first this appears to be the old covenant, the covenant God made with Israel through Moses, with all the sacrifices would cover of sin. But if you understand the Old Testament, it's an allusion back to the covenant with Abraham where God made his covenant, put Abraham to sleep, or actually had Abraham cut a bunch of animals and, and, and had them separate them. This is Genesis 15, I believe. He has them separate them, lay out the animals, kind of head to tail. Um, uh, Abraham brought some birds also, but they weren't cut. So he sacrifices animals, spreads them out, and they're going to go through a ceremony that was well known through that time. It was called cutting a covenant. It was a, by the way, a covenant is like a treaty with teeth. It's it's usually a peace treaty, and but it, it, it's not what kind of treaty we think of. That if there's a treaty uh, between uh, nations, and one of the parties uh, uh, violates the treaty, the other country just says, "Okay, treaty's over. We're going to go to war, or we're, we're no longer bound by the treaty." No, this was a, a covenant had had teeth to it. It meant that if somebody one of the parties violated the terms of the covenant, there would be blood. There would be a, a, a penalty paid in order to continue to keep the peace. It wasn't that the covenant was over, that there would be sanctions of the covenant. And that's what God is doing with Abraham. Abraham and God are going to go through this these torn animals and walk through together and and both make an oath that they will keep their sides of the covenant but god puts mo god puts abraham to sleep and god alone goes through between these two sets of animals he comes as a smoking pot it's kind of weird isn't it but if you understand what was going on god is making the the oath by himself he's guaranteeing that even if someone if if abraham and his his generations to follow violate the terms of this covenant god himself will take the penalty he'll the blood of his own blood will be spilt if necessary to make sure this covenant is an everlasting covenant. That's the covenant he's talking about here in Zechariah. As for you, because the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the water of the pit. So now he's got this great image of, of Jesus, of the coming king and Jesus on that day. Now we see this picture of Jesus riding on this donkey in humility, not coming as the conquering king right now, But he is coming to bring peace. But it's a a peace that is going to be guaranteed by his death. He's coming as God's emissary to die for the people. Now, maybe I'm reading a little bit into that, but I'm not. Actually, I'm reading backwards from the scriptures into that. We're going to go now to our third step. We've gone 500 years back from from, um, Matthew. Now we're going to go 1,700 years back and we're going to look at where this prophecy comes from, and that is Jacob in Genesis chapter 49. Now, Jacob, this is, this is the blessing of Jacob to his son Judah. Um, the blessing of from Jacob, the father of the nation of Israel, um, to Judah, the father of the tribe of Judah, the tribe from which Jesus came. So Jacob's old... He's ready to die, and he's passing on God's blessings and promises to his sons. The blessings uh, that were given to Abraham by God, they were passed on to Isaac, and from Isaac passed on to his son Jacob, and then Jacob to his sons. We don't have time to look at all the sons of Jacob or go in depth uh, on this whole prophecy. We pick up where Jacob's son Judah receives the promise of the Messiah to come, the promised seed of Abraham, in whom all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So Genesis 49, verse 8. Judah, your brother shall praise you, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the Pray, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. This great prophecy of the, the coming son of Judah, the offspring of Judah, uh, here is where we get to these great themes about, about Israel and about the coming Messiah. In verse 8, we see the preeminence of the tribe of Judah over all the other tribes. Verse so so Jerusalem, um, the kings, the kingship um, is from Judah. Um, Verse 9, we do see that. The Messiah gets the oh, I'm sorry, verse 9, we see where the Messiah gets the name the the Lion of Judah, because Judah was known as the the Lion of Judah. In verse 10, there's the promise of kings to come from the lion of Judah, from David to the Messiah. Verse 11, we get the vine. There's that vine. Which becomes one of God's symbols for Israel. And in verse 12, we see that he will bring a great peace. Now, it's signified by an overabundance of milk. His eyes, his eyes will be white as milk, and his, his um, teeth will be, uh, or, or his eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. It's a, kind of strange to us, but would denote to them that there was a great abundance of, of wine and milk, but not just wine and milk, but crops and animals. And it denotes something even more important than that, that there would be peace in the land. Because the Israelites knew, the people of that area knew, you could not have abundance in the land without peace. Israelites' story over and over again is, is they break God's covenant, they break the, the covenant with Moses, God brings their enemies into the land, they overtake the land, the story of the, the judges is full of the, the their enemies' riding in and and destroying their crops or taking their crops and destroying the rest that's there taking their animals Um, you you think of of Gideon threshing um, uh, when the angel comes to him he's threshing in in a wine press he's he's down in a hollow um, and so that he's hidden from the raiders that he's they've got just enough food to get by and he's trying to protect that so they don't come and, and take it so uh, to have abundance for them meant there's peace in the land and that's what this great promise is, there would be peace now, here's where it gets kind of strange from us, oh by the way, I'm sorry, in the middle of this prophecy of the coming ruler, there's the donkey, the young donkey and it literally is the foal, the son of a female donkey so a, 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 a young male donkey, the son of a female donkey and this young donkey is closely associated with the vine. It, it, it's tied up to the vine, and the vine rep- is come, would come to represent the nation of Israel. And so the ruler there is associated with great suffering. His robes will be washed in the blood of grapes, and that's an image of, of blood that was going to be sp- spilled. So he's going to go through a blood ordeal before he brings peace to the land. So we see this great picture of Jesus that fulfilled on the Passion Week, the week that we're celebrating now. There's one more thing that gets a little strange for us about this donkey, and to understand that, we're going to look at a contemporary uh, event of of Jacob and Judah, and maybe Abraham. Around 1700 BC, uh, we learn from archaeological finds that the, the time from the time and region where Abraham came from, where his extended family lived and where Jacob lived for 20 years. Remember, Abraham comes from the land of Ur. He travels up to Haran. If you're, if you're looking at a map um, of the Middle East, you, you would look at the, the, the two rivers of the Euphrates um, on your right, um, and you would look at um, uh, the Mediterranean Sea on your left and this great land in between. And Abraham comes from the, kind of the bottom of the Euphrates. Uh, he travels up actually with his father Terah travels up, goes through Babylon, goes through Mari, another capital, and settles in the land of Haran, or Haran. He, he settles there for a while, and that's where God calls him from, the land of Har- Haran. Abraham leaves with his sons, uh, his family, and goes to, no, no I'm sorry, he doesn't have sons, sorry. I, I know the story better than that. <laughs> he doesn't have a son yet, silly me. Um, I'm complaining with J- with Jacob. Uh, he comes with his family and, and his and his his um, extended family and but a lot of his extended family stays behind and abraham comes to the land where god's going to give him later on jacob running from esau goes back to haran or haran right and he lives there for 20 years while he married earns the right to marry it turns out two wives and that's where his family has started jacob of judah is born in haran so now we have this 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 area. It, it, and by the way, so the languages are the same. They, they, the cultures are the same. Cultures don't change over even a few hundred years. They don't change over thousands of years back there. At least, well, at least a thousand years. So this would have been, this situation would have been familiar to them. And here it is. We see this, they found a letter, they found a bunch of, of, of evidence of the, these um, covenants that we talked about with Abraham and, and God and we have a situation here. It's a letter from King Zimri of Mari, uh, or to him, from his emissary. And he's going to bring a peace treaty between two of the, the primary tribes of the, the nation of, of Mari, led by King Zimri. Now, by the way, Mari and King Zimri were contemporaries and uh, uh, allies for a while of, uh, you probably heard him, Hammurabi he 's the the king of of Babylon who institutes the first formal written laws um, so this tablet they found it, and here here 's what he says he says to my lord say this Ibal el thy servant the tablet of Ibal added from uh, Slaka reached me so it 's a communication from from the the king um, uh, through an emissary was sent to um, Ibo-il. He said, It reached me and I went to uh, Aslaka to kill a donkey between the Hanu and Itamaraz. Now, <laughs> kill a donkey was a euphemism. It became known as have a peace treaty. Oddly enough, young donkeys were used for the most serious of the treaties. They sacrificed a donkey in the same way that, again, I gets, I'm glad the kids aren't here because it gets kind of gory but they would split the donkey in half and walk through to the donkey halves for the most serious of treaties. Other treaties, apparently, they would just bring gifts for each other. And he says, a puppy and lettuce they brought, but I obeyed my Lord and did not give the cup puppy and lettuce. I probably lost some of you there. Don't worry, the puppy's okay. They didn't sacrifice the puppy. Um, I'm assuming the puppy grew old, um, had puppies of his own, lived a long life. Apparently, they brought these and they were probably worth something, the lettuce, the produce of the land, and the puppy as a sign of, of, of young animals. For some reason, they brought these and expecting to exchange them as gifts. And what does he say? I did not give the puppy and lettuce. I caused the young donkey, the son of a female donkey, to be slaughtered. I have established peace between the Hanu and Enamaras. So this, this, this treaty was so important that it was going to be confirmed, it was going to be established, it was going to be guaranteed, even if it meant blood on the part of one or the other of the the parties. Now imagine, just for a moment, if instead of offering the donkey, the emissary of the king said, let's not do the donkey. Instead, kill me. Use me as the sacrifice. I will guarantee, my blood will guarantee this covenant of peace so that if one side violates this covenant it doesn't matter the penalty has already been paid this will be overlooked and we'll have a covenant of peace this is why this donkey is so important because it was a covenant of peace it was a sign of a covenant of peace and not just the 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 donkey is important the fact that the Messiah to come, the King to come, brings this donkey as a sign of a symbol of peace. But even here in Genesis, we see that there's something going to be different. That's not the donkey's blood that's in view. It's the King's blood that's in view. So when, now, we, now we complete the circle. Now we go back on this round trip. Now we, we, we go back and see the, the, how all this ties together. I'm gonna read this because I forget this right here. We have now the full picture from Abraham to Jacob to Zechariah to Matthew, Abraham's offspring and who all the nations of the earth would be blessed, the king from the tribe of Judah, who would rule over all the world, who would come to Israel, the vine. He would come to the most important city in Israel, the choice vine, Jerusalem, riding a donkey of covenant oath and bring blessing through a covenant of peace, in which he himself would be bloodied. When Jesus rode in, he was announcing his intent to fulfill that covenant of peace. But instead of killing a donkey, he would himself be the sacrifice that brought peace to the world. The people were looking for the political, military king, but he came as the humble king, humbly to do the will of the Father. He wasn't the king the people wanted, but he was the king they needed. He came this time not as the king of glory, his glory was veiled, we saw that in Matthew 21:11. They said, who is this? And the people who even followed him responded, oh, he's just the prophet. He came not as the Lord of armies, but as the Lord of the covenant. During that week at the Passover meal, Jesus pronounced that he was going to institute a new covenant in my blood. On Good Friday, he made that great sacrifice of his own life, instituted that covenant of peace. Not a covenant of peace between nations, but a covenant of blood, a covenant of peace between God and humanity. It was that sacrifice on the cross, that reconciliation, that peace that would truly enable people to approach God and meet him in his holy place. No, Jesus wasn't the king the people expected, but he was the king the people needed. My friend Walt summed it up this way. No matter what you're going through, take encouragement in the fact that you have peace with God and that he has adopted you into his family, which was the purpose of Jesus' coming to bring us to God. You can be assured that whatever you are going through is somehow all part of God's wonderful plan for us. And in closing, I will say, always be assured. He may not be the King of glory you expect, but He's always the covenant Lord you need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You came on this humble colt and came humbly... Um, and and gave us this great picture of of what you would be doing and why you would be doing it. Uh, In fulfillment of the scriptures, yes, to prove that you are the promised Messiah, that every single detail of of your coming was fulfilled in you, even down to the coming on a male colt, son of a female donkey, and even with a donkey. Um, and but you came not just to fulfill those, but to bring a message of peace, to announce to the to to the world, to announce to your Father your intentions, to die for us, to create peace between you and humankind, mankind. That there would no longer we'd no longer be enemies, but but at peace with you, not just at peace we would be adopted as your sons and daughters, the purpose that your son came for. And we thank you and give you praise that he has done this. And we look forward to revisiting the events of this week um, in our homes, in our churches, uh, and rejoining together next Sunday as we celebrate the rising of this this great king who rested on that last Sabbath day, rested uh, in your rest, and was raised from the dead by you, by the power of your spirit, uh, to bring life, not just to Jesus, but to bring life to us as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.